Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear. Because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you sent your son to be our savior and our friend. And together with the son, you sent the spirit that we might become all that you desire of us, children of God. So in these moments, come to us by the Spirit and draw us into the heart of the Son who brings us into the heart of the Father. We ask for this, that it might bring you glory and a blessing to your people. And together we say, Amen. Some years ago, when my son Taylor, who is here today to bear witness to this story, was five years old, he was at the playground at school, and in the animation of play, a certain word emerged from his lips, unbidden, unexpected, that the teachers thought was a bit salty for a five-year-old. It called for a family conference with his teacher, And uh, the teacher was perplexed that my young son would draw such language uh, on the playground and throw it at a classmate. And uh, there was some discussion as to where that word had come from in his family of origin. And, (laughs) And the teacher said to him, Taylor, did you hear your father say that word? I owe him my life for this. He looked with astonishment at his teacher, Mr. K, and said, Mr. K, my father is a pastor. (laughs) It was my mother, he said. (laughs) 
Well, we went home, and we had a little father-son chat about all of that. Not sure that was true, but that was his way of escape, and I was not too unappreciative for his word. And Taylor said to me, Dad, I didn't know there were so many words I couldn't use on the playground that you say are bad words. He said, Dad, why don't you tell me all the bad words there are so that I'll know not to use them? And I said, well, let me think about that, son. And uh, we still haven't come back to that conversation uh, 23 years later. He learned as a young boy, we all learned, there are words that are powerful words. Words are powerful. Words penetrate for good or for ill. There are words that we learn in a vocabulary in this world that are swear words. And they are unwholesome words. They're not to be among God's people. But there are other words that are simply to swear by. Life-giving words, gospel words, words that are genuine and full of hope. And John, in his letter, uses some of those words to swear by. And so playing on that turn of phrase, swear words and words to play by, I want to lead us into a reflection on 1 John 4, beginning in verse 7, a few choice four-letter words uh, in the English language, of course, uh, that highlight this tremendous text of the Apostle John. And in this summer here at Bethany, as you're focusing on love and what love is and love is not, I bring this text to us today in the middle of that First Corinthians series to think about what another apostle has to share about the criticality of love and words to swear by. The first word to focus in, if you have a Bible and you open it to First John chapter 4 and verse 7, and at least in the NIV, is the word dear. Dear friends is John's address. And it's not an incidental phrase. It occurs again and again 15 times in 1 John. He begins appeals within the letter with this phrase, dear friends. Dear friends in the English is actually a translation of a single word in the language of John. And it is the word otherwise translated beloved. It's the word agape that will be used of God's love. And uh, in the English language, we, we often try to find what's kind of an equivalent for that. And so the translators to the NIV said, well, let's make it two words and let's say, dear friends. Dear. It's not incidental. It's a gentle but a pervasive reminder as John works through the letter that tone matters. Tone matters in how we speak and how we communicate in our life together. We are being reminded again and again 15 times in this letter that we are dear, dear to God and dear to one another. Last Sunday we heard about love is slow to anger. Why is it that love is slow to anger? Because love is centered in the dearness of the other. People of God, do you, do you know how dear you are? To our Savior? Do you know how beloved you are in the heart of the Father? We sang that song a few minutes ago. Does the Spirit of God resonate within your spirit that that's really true? A good, good Father who calls you dear, 
who considers you beloved, who reiterates that again and again in the center of what the gospel's purpose and outcome is, that we recognize that we are dear to God, that we are beloved. And it's that kind of reality that keeps anger on a slow burn in our lives. The affection of God is what is intended to bind us together in the call to live in the way of Christ. And so, dear friends, is peppered throughout John's appeal. This reminder about our identity and about how that sets the tone and the landscape for all that the gospel includes. We are beloved. Martin Luther King, to engage his community in a time of great unrest and the civil rights movement in this world, uh, uh, invested tremendous energies in helping the imagination of the African-American community to know this one thing. They are the beloved community. And if we are the beloved community, we can look at others, even those who, uh, who spite us and who are prejudicial and hurtful towards us, as also beloved There's an outward captivity that needs to be cast off. There's an inward captivity that must be cast off. And it is in recognizing that we are the beloved and you are the beloved that frees us to enter into the joy and the power of the gospel. Now, we're used to using the word dear without thought, particularly in correspondence. It's just a salutation at most every letter, dear customer service. Uh, And it's not not anything sincere. But that's not the language that John has here. This word uh, is a sincerity. It, It sets the reminder as he communicates that there's something precious in the community he writes to. They are dear. And it's appropriate and important that we don't economize on endearment in these days. Jesus, when he washed the feet of his disciples at the Last Supper, having shown them this emblem of his love, spoke a similar word to them when he said, My children, a new command I give you. Love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. It's virtually impossible to love one another if we haven't first come into that amazing gift and experience ourselves that we are beloved, that we are the little children welcome to come to Jesus, to experience the fullness of grace and of God's joy and mercy. It is in being children It is in being dear friends, it is in being beloved that the possibilities of this text are within grasp by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are reminded that we are family one to another. That the blood of Jesus flows through and between us, thickening the ties, calling us to be one and to live in unity. Oh, I know this, that when we stop being dear to one another... Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, dear. When we no longer behold one another as beloved, sin crouches at the door. It desires to have us. We must learn to master that risk.
Behold, you are beloved. Jesus came to give his disciples a new way of seeing in the world, a way that came out of the center of his relationship with the Father, a transformational way of beholding one another as beloved. For dear is how God has determined to observe each one of us. We are near and we are dear to God. And that is demonstrated so powerfully in God's determination to enter the world incarnate in flesh and bone and blood in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. John will say elsewhere in this letter, Behold what manner of love, behold, see it, the manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. We celebrate that particularly when we baptize a child and parade them around the congregation, lifting up that word, and each of us should remember, this is also true for me. True for me, true for every one of us. In the beholding of God, we are children. Dear friends, dear friends of Bethany, it's a wonderful reminder today. In this time of transition as a congregation, as as we have concluded one pastoral season and said farewell to the ex, as we anticipate change and uncertainty and opportunity to come, to be grounded again in this marvelous reality that you are so dear. You're so dear to the Father. And I encourage you, be dear to one another in these days. It's okay. You can afford it. Go a little overboard. Get a little giddy with love with one another. Be, be friendly. It won't kill you. It actually might help you. Yeah, be tender to one another. You don't know how bad a day somebody might have had. Decide to be dear and endearing one to another. So John, as he writes this letter, peppers his letter with that word dear as a constant reminder of how critical it is the way we behold, befriend, and beloved one another. I wonder how many of you have too many dear friends. Just impossible, just can't take any more. The birthday card list is off the chart. The number of gifts you have to buy, the people who want coffee and lunch with you just to love on you, it's just too many, really. You need to pawn them off on somebody else. Now, we might have too many Facebook friends. I get that. I'm not sure how many of us have too many dear friends who reach out to care for us, who behold us as beloved. The health of a church as a community, as a community of love, is observed by the sincerity and depths of friendships we share among us. Jesus never envisioned a church that would gather hundreds of people for weekly worship who were largely strangers to each other who did not understand that in the invitation to come to Jesus was also the invitation to come to one another and to become family and to become friends, dear friends who pour out our lives one to another. That's so hard to do in our suburban, busy world, but it's in the center of the promise and the power of the gospel that we cultivate a community of dear, dear friends. In April of this year in Vancouver, a psychologist, Susan Pinker, gave one of those 
amazing seven-minute TED Talks. And I've never learned to do anything in seven minutes in terms of speaking. May God deliver me. But she gave a seven-minute TED Talk that reported that the top ten factors that contribute to longevity and vitality in life have this as the number one factor, face-to-face social integration. It's the number of connections you make on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. They don't have to be deep, but they have to be sincere. That cultivate and express your connectedness to people in a community. And the lack of that and the isolation and loneliness that results from it is a direct indicator to the shortness of life and the poverty of spirit. Dear friends, But there are more words here, and I'd better move on if we're to get to camp this morning. And so I'm going to double up on a couple of words with preacher's privilege, because they actually go together. So the second and third four-letter words to swear by are the words love. You guessed it, some of you. Love would be one of those four-letter words, yes. Five times in this text, love is highlighted. But it is married for its meaning to the word sent two times in this text. Let us love one another because love comes from God. God is love. And this is how God showed his love. He sent his one and only son that we might live through him. The love of God and the sentness of God belong together. If we only have this word love, we are the ones who fill it with our own definition. And we become abstract. And we often become anemic. And we become sentimental. But God, never satisfied to be sentimental, sent his son. God may have deep sentiment in the center of his affections for the plight of humanity and foolish rebellion and resistance against God that leads us into death and captivity. But God never stops with sentimentality. God acted and he sent his son. John says this is how we know what love is. We have an illustration given to us right in our midst. Jesus of Nazareth, God sent his son love, that oldest and greatest power in the universe. The meaning and the goal of creation itself is tethered to God's determination to fill his love with action. God's love acts. Even within the very being of God, God's love, the love that is shared between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is an embodied love. It's a sent love. It has an impact. The very center of God is a constant flow of giving and receiving love and life and joy and conversation. There's a flow to that. The church fathers, in reflecting on the nature of God as they'd come to see it in the person and teaching of Jesus, came upon a word in their language that would roughly translate in our day to circle dance. The the sense of that God is a moving flow of relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each one giving, enjoying, and passing on the love and the sentness. That's the very essence of life itself, is in the flow. The flow of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Sentness, then, is the embodiment of the Word of God, fulfilling all of love's intentions. 
God loves and God sends. Because of God's love, that word spoke at creation and all things move from chaos to symmetry. Because of God's word, the prophets were called forward and the law was given to take God's heart and to put it in front of us in a way that we could begin to observe the contours and the excellence of God's ways in the world. But because of our own rebellion and resistance, we took that word in the law and the prophets and we twisted it and made it some rule that was over us rather than God's loving cultivation of a way for us to live in harmony and flourishing. Because of our own sin and brokenness, that law crushed us because of our brokenness and because of its excellence. And God, seeing that the word of creation and the word and the law and the prophets was running out of control in the brokenness of humanity, God, in his love, decided that his word would speak again, but it would become one of us. It would be incarnate, full of grace, full of truth, taking on flesh and bone and moving into our neighborhood, as John will also say in his gospel in the first chapter. Jesus of Nazareth is the sentness of the love of God. It's really important when you read John's letter that you realize John is not writing a Ph.D. thesis. John's a fisherman who's come into intimate acquaintance with the person of Jesus, lived a long life, helped advance the gospel among a very diverse community, and John is known as the most simple of the apostles. That doesn't make him simplistic. John's simplicity is brilliant. You know, blue-collar people can know Jesus just as well as white-collar people. The simplicity of John, it's poetic simplicity, it's artful simplicity, is because of the fullness of the Spirit in John. And John writes this letter for very practical purposes. Listen to the introduction to 1 John. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen What we have heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is writing for a very practical purpose, and he's writing out of deep personal experience with Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't go to an academy and come back to tell you abstract things about God. He walked on the seashore with the master and he came to the amazing conviction that Philip struggled with. If we have seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. Jesus has come to bring the fullness of the Father to us. And we are in relationship with him. And though Jesus has returned to the right hand of the Father, 
there to intercede for us. He sent his spirit. And for John, the spirit is as real and personal as Jesus was when he walked among them. This is not theory. This is testimony for John. That which we heard, John can say, in fact, I, all these years later, I can still close my eyes and I can hear the voice of Jesus. I remember how he spoke. I remember what he taught. That which we have seen, I close my eyes and I can, oh, I can see him. I see the contours of his smile. I, I remember that beard. Uh, I remember his cloak. I, oh, I can remember the smell. Oh, that which we've seen. That which we've heard. That, that which our, our hands have handled him. Oh yeah, that, that's what I've come to tell you about. The, the sentness of the love of God incarnate. Yes, that's what John is burdened to share in this text. That Jesus lived for us, revealing the face and the grace of his Father. And Jesus calls us into an eternal life of knowing him and his Father. For Jesus died for us, reconciled us to God, atoned for our sins. He overcame death and darkness, and he rose for us and is with us. Love for John is the amazing privilege of sharing the very essence of God's way of life intimately, personally, and communally. Love for John, as learned in the illustration of Jesus, is the giving of yourself to others without payment, without threat, without compromise, without condition, without shame, the giving of yourself away. That's the love of God, pouring himself out in the sentness of Jesus who lives for us and died for us and lives again for us. And we share that together in the eternal intimacy of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Think about this, friends. The age of the universe, while it is debated among people of all kinds, as old as the universe is, God's love is longer still. God has not always been creator. There is a stretch immeasurable before God spoke through the word, that word that launched the universe into existence that led to this planet's flourishing long before that, before God ever thought about creation, God was sharing love in the sentness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In the perfection of their love and life together, they made a decision to share that. That's the reason for creation. That out of the overflow of the love and the sentness of God's love, uh, a universe was launched where God could put on display his love and his life, and to bring you and me and others into it. Oh, that's the joy of the Father and of the Son and of the Spirit. And that's why John is writing this letter and longing for you and I to step into what he understands to be true, that in Jesus, 
God is opening his inner life by revealing to us and reconciling us to the love of God through his Son and by his Spirit. So John is under this pastoral burden in the writing of this letter to bring us into this deep knowledge that God is revealing himself to us in Jesus and by the Spirit, and at the same time reconciling us to God and to one another through the cross of Christ. Every increase in clarity for John is an increase of our encounter with God in his grace and his truth. And that's why for John, both faith and the obedience of faith are inescapable elements of God's covenant with us. Israel, throughout the centuries, was centered in this morning and evening prayer that set the foundation for this truth. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Jesus, in the fullness of time, comes to draw us even more intimately into that oneness of God and to tell us that love, which comes from God, has an interiority to it, that love is shared in the fellowship of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Elsewhere, John in the Gospel will bring these words of Jesus into print. I and the Father are one, Jesus said. Know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Well, John says, if this is true, that love is on display in the sentness of Christ, then two more words need to be landed into our lap before we conclude. And we'll coin them together, for they mutually enforce each other. And they are the word born and the word know. K-N-O-W, know. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. The love of God is so powerful. It is so virile. It is so fertile. It is so creative. It is so transformational. It invokes encounter. It produces change. The love of God in Jesus Christ produces a miracle in the life of every person who receives it by faith. A transforming genesis that launches a new beginning in each one of us that belongs to the word born. Born of God. A new beginning. When Jesus Christ invites you into the fellowship of his Father, you start all over. No matter how old you are in human years, you get a fresh beginning. Nicodemus, that teacher of Israel, didn't get that. And Jesus marveled at him in the late of the night. He said, Nicodemus, you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't understand this. God makes all things new when he enters into our lives. A Genesis moment. A new beginning. We start afresh. We are born of God, and that Born of God is not something at a distance. It's not transactional. God doesn't send you a letter of salvation and say, see you later. When you're born of God, which makes you a child of God, 
You come to know God. Know God? Yes, God comes to know you personally, powerfully. Spirit bearing witness to us that this is true, that we are the children of God, and God is here personally to guide and to transform our lives. We come to know God through Jesus by the Spirit. You see, we can never hold God at arm's length. God will never be an object. God is always subject. The love of God is never passive, never sentimental, always sent. It is active, transformational, and it comes to us in the person of Jesus, the Messiah. Birth is essential, but none of us births ourselves. Birth is always the gift of others. The love that sends itself is the love that conceives. The love that sends itself travails in anguish as we are born anew and mature even by baby steps into the fullness of Christ's love and his sentness. God's love draws us into a relationship with his son, Jesus, who transforms our relationships with God and with one another. So my, my dear friends... Dear friends, let us love one another. Because love comes from God. And God is love. That's the reason for all creation, that love might be shared and celebrated. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of our lives and all eternity doing, is mastering and celebrating the plenitude of love. How many ways can you love somebody? Is there an end to that? Is there an end to the discovery of it? Is there an end to the joy of it? Is there an end to the the magnitude of it? No, love never ends. Love is eternal. That's what the universe is all about. And that's where eternity is going. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you new birth and new family to make possible so that in this world and in the next, you and I might be like Jesus. Oh, and like, that's another four-letter word, but we got to go to camp today, and I'll save that for another week. Would you pray with me?